ready to grow your business by building relationships online and offline? Are you looking for a system to attract new prospects and nurture your past clients? Maybe you're a business owner, a sales professional, or an entrepreneur. If you are, then great. Join me, Janice Porter, as we blast past your barriers to success and explore the power of relationships for your business. And welcome to the Relationships Rule Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Relationships Rule Podcast. I'm your host, Janice Porter, and my guest today comes all the way from Down Under in Australia. She is Chris Miller, and first I'm going to say welcome, Chris, and then I'm going to tell my my audience a little bit about your amazing um, resume, or should I call it that? No, your career. Welcome. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Janice, and, and uh, welcome, listeners. So um, just in a nutshell, Chris is... Um, the owner of a business called For Cri- Before Crisis, Building Resilient Businesses. And she is a pandemic recovery specialist, which is so appropriate to talk about in, uh, when we are, are recording this right now, a pandemic recovery specialist in emergency and business continuity manager. And I'm actually honored that she had time to talk to me because she is so deep into what's going on with the pandemic in Australia at the moment, as it is all around the world. This is February 2021, and we're still deep in it a year a year in, right, Chris? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So um, I'm going to just give a little bit of Chris's background here because you can see so that you can see how qualified she is for what she does. For more than a decade, she's been the sole trader uh, business owner specializing in emergency and business continuity management. And that stems back to uh, SARS in the early 2000s. She worked on that national pandemic planning and exercises. And um, more recently, she's been working with clients and colleagues to prepare, respond, and recover from the COVID-19 pandemic, which you're calling COVID-2, um, COVID SARS-CoV-2, right? So it's all kind of related. Um, so there's a lot I don't understand about what you do. I have to be um, honest and upfront about that. But I do know that you have um, been in emergency management and business continuity. You've been in the military. You have been involved with a lot of uh, disasters, large-scale disasters, and even worked on counterterrorism things. So today, you've presented workshops Australia-wide to around 500 small businesses on pandemic continuity planning and more, and have written more than 70 conference papers within Australia and now overseas, face-to-face and now virtually, and have lectured at three universities and several police training colleges. I know I left out a bunch of details, but I I really want to get you to tell me a little bit more about um, you and what you're doing right now, because it's so interesting and so like way more scope than I could ever imagine. You are one smart woman. So tell me a little bit about this um, planning and uh, exercises that you get involved in for this whole um, um, rollout of dealing with the um, 
what do we call right, it? Just a, a slight word of correction. I've of been course. in the police service, not in the military service, although obviously in counterterrorism, I work very closely with the military. Ah, uh, yes, I apologize. That's right. You were uh, in, in Queensland police, right? That's true. Okay. And that's actually what brought me into health emergencies. So that's a really good place to begin. Let's start there. Because I was working on AIDS, HIV education with the Department of Health there and the Queensland Police. I was also working on a hepatitis B vaccination program, an adult vaccination program that went cold chain. Many of your listeners will have heard the phrase cold chain lately with respect to vaccines. So that... Uh, okay, wait, so what does that mean? Cold... I'm just about to tell you. Yeah, it's plus two, two, plus eight is cold chain. And the majority of vaccines and pharmaceutical products are distributed throughout the world at cold chain. So plus two to plus eight, whereas the Pfizer vaccine requires what's called ultra cold chain, which is minus 70. So that's uh, quite a challenge. Oh, right. Okay. So I think what you're saying is that that was one of the, the um, challenges with the Pfizer vaccine because it needed to be um, kept at that is it minus 70. Uh, yes. for it's a big challenge. Yeah, that's huge. And so, um, okay, go ahead. I Even delivering uh, what's called cold chain, which is plus two to plus eight Celsius, is a challenge. Uh, most aircraft are not fitted uh -huh. to move cold chain. Uh, but the good news is my friends at the global supply chain and their hardworking colleagues, 250,000 executives, have been working incredibly hard to find ways of delivering Pfizer, Moderna and the other vaccines that require cold chain. Uh, and they've even been setting up really crafty things like uh, pallets. You may have noticed when you go to the airport, well, in the good old days when we used to go to the airport, <laughs> those sort of silver things, those funny shaped silver things that are designed to slide into the belly of aircraft and take cargo, take your luggage, take cargo and so on. Uh, they're called ULDs, Universal Loading Devices. And some of those have now been retrofitted or uh, built from scratch to take cold chain so that we can put them in the ULD-shaped devices into the belly of aircraft and off they go. Oh, interesting. Been sooner. That's the plan. So is it the, who's paying for that? The governments? It's interesting. It's very <laughs> full. It depends on what's in the contract. Places mm. uh, the government's paying for it. In other places, Pfizer and uh, Moderna and Johnson and Johnson and Annika, mm -hmm. the list is very long. Yeah. Uh, inc incorporating that into the cost. Uh, when I ran that adult vaccination program for Queensland Police, Glaxo uh, was the supplier, another company, and uh, their deal with the Queensland Police was that they would deliver it on site. But for instance, and the Canadian listeners will get a bit of a chuckle about this, since you have some remote communities too. I often was on the phone to my police colleagues. I was working in the commissioner's office in those days. Get to the airport, meet that plane. No, I don't want to hear about the cattle rustlers you're chasing or the fatal road accident or whatever. Just meet that plane and get the esky, which is sort of a little um, cooler box off the plane and into your fridge or into the medical center fridge or those vaccines will spoil. Mm -hmm. And this is a continuing problem, spoilage of vaccines. Uh, the uh, World Health Organization and IATA 
that's the International Aviation Transport Authority, estimates that somewhere between 25 and 50% of vaccines before COVID spoiled in transit, especially wow. aircraft or at airports. So this is why it's so important to get that locked. Well, and I think probably today also is because there isn't, they can't make them fast enough, it seems. That's true. And that was always going to be a problem. Uh, I've been talking at some length before the announcements of the vaccines that we really had four problems. One was the science. Could we make a vaccine that worked? Mm -hmm. This was a novel disease. We had very little history against coronavirus. The SARS, first SARS pandemic, or SARS-1, if you want to call it that, SARS-CoV-1, back in um, 02, 04, the vaccine trials were a manifest failure. They failed at the animal stage. So anyone like me that had a sense of history, we were not particularly um, positive that somehow or other, where we'd had a manifest failure on the previous SARS pandemic, Mm -hmm. that we would somehow magically do much better, much quicker, SARS-CoV-2 and we're very happy to have been proved wrong that they managed to do it much faster. But did they, did, um, did they test these current ones on animals? Oh. Yes, they, yes, yes. Okay. That's, a, that's a, an earlier trial. So back at okay. stage one, you may have heard mention of stage three trials is where they actually tested on people. Mm-hmm. So the, the first trials are animal trials. The second trials are safety trials to make mm-hmm. sure you kill people if you give mm-hmm. it to. And then the third trial is to start to broaden out. So you'll notice that the World Health Organization and the CDC in the United States unusually required the vaccine developers to test on older people uh, and down as low as 16. Usually when vaccines are developed, they tend to be tested on males because female physiology is too inconvenient. (laughs) So for many years, most vaccines were tested on men and we just hope like hell they worked on women because it was much too hard to do that. Oh my goodness. (laughs) Yes, very sexist. And they tested them on males, usually about 25 to 40, who were healthy, who had no otherwise known health conditions. And then they just hoped that it extrapolated out to the rest of the community and the, all, all the rest of us would do well with this vaccine. Oh, my goodness. Probably wow. narrow trial. This time, it wasn't. It was a much broader trial. But I still have heard, like, I'm still on the fence with this thing because um, I somewhere, I guess, thought that um, some of the vaccines were not tested enough is, they have been. They have the ones been. that have been approved, even for emergency approval, okay. they've gone through all the steps that you would normally go through for any vaccine. So, for instance, mumps, which prior to COVID was the fastest ever developed vaccine, uh, which took four years. Ebola took eight to ten years, depending on how you count it. And these were considered very quick. But, of course, the mumps vaccine developing in the, in the 60s had the benefit of years of scientific basic scientific research, particularly strongly around World War I and World War II, where service people were exposed to mumps and they had excellent case study data and slides and all sorts of information. In the case of COVID, as uh, I think the boss of Moderna uh, described it, we're kind of building the virus and flying, we're, we're building the plane while we're flying it. Yes, and it's yes. like these vaccines. 
we've been trying to get the science, the basic science, and develop a, a vaccine, a viable vaccine, in incredibly short time. But there have been a couple of things working in our favour to make this so much quicker than we've ever achieved before. One is Bill and Melinda Gates <coughs> have invested huge sums of money in vaccine technology long before we even heard the word COVID. Right. It came into their radar when they were involved with childhood vaccines in Africa, because they were busily trying to make sure that the children in Africa were not being denied the, the necessary childhood immunisations that in Australia and Canada and probably the United States, many other places. We just take for granted Africa are not universally available. So they are investing considerable sums of money in making those more available. And as a result of that understanding of the difficulties with vaccines in Africa, the penny dropped that we were still basically using technology dating from World War I. Oh. And needless to say, Mr. Gates, being a bit of a technology fancy, I sort of went, can't we do better after all these years? Right. Part of the reason why we got these mRNA, the messenger RNA, and some of the other fast turnout of the vaccines is the huge amount of investment that the Gates Foundation and other organisations have been investing into better vaccine platforms. And this has manifested itself. We've, we've really borne the fruit of that investment in the last decade or so. Now, now when we really needed it, we got these vaccines out incredibly fast, but without missing any key steps. Ah, okay. That makes me feel better. And the other thing we've done is we've put truckloads of money at it. All of our governments, the Australian mm -hmm. government, I suspect the Canadians too. We know the Americans with whatever they called it, Operation Warp Speed or something, have sent these pharma companies money than they could ever have imagined they get. Because mm -hmm. often in the vaccine space, you soldier on about something, but no one wants to put any money towards it. Yeah. And so uh, many vaccines have lapsed because of lack of funds. That hasn't been the case for COVID. We can't give them enough money to make it work. You know, I actually saw in the paper today um, in Canada, I think it was, they just, uh, the government was asked by, I think it was Pfizer to accept some, this new, this change because some nurses who are administering the drug are, have found that they've got an extra dose in the vaccine because of um, better syringes or something like that. So instead of getting five doses from the vaccine uh, vial, they're getting six. Does that make That's sense? That's true. Yeah. Yes, that is true. So uh, it's because of the way the vaccine comes. It's not like a normal vaccine that you'd be familiar with where you have a little vial and right. shoot the needle in, draw it out. Right. Um, it doesn't behave like that. These vaccines are coming in sort of to help with the mass manufacturing, they're coming in sort of multi-use files mm -hmm. so that the, the nurses or whoever, the pharmacists or whoever is giving you these vaccines in Australia, it could be pharmacists as well. Mm -hmm. That's starting here too. Sorts of people. Mm. And, and I understand the Americans are, um, are working through pharmacies too, especially yeah. with AstraZeneca and those vaccines. So what happens is you get to make the manufacturing faster if they had to put them in individual vials, that would take much longer. Mm -hmm. We all want these vaccines faster. So what they're doing is they're making them in, in six and 10 dose lots. Okay. 
but that's more technically difficult for the nursing and pharmacy and other staff. Yeah. Helping. They have to draw down in carefully mm -hmm. to get opposite dose out of each of the vials that they have to get the six doses out. Now they may have initially thought that five doses was all they could get, but now we've realized with the smarter needles we've had and the very competent staff, yeah. they've actually been able to make it go further to get the requisite dosage into the needle uh, out of those mass manufacturing pods, for want of a better term, so that we can make the vaccine go further. What a great thing. Nobody's complaining about that. No, I guess not. Have you had your vaccination yet? Oh, goodness, no. We no. don't even begin in Australia until the end of this month with the Pfizer if it can be delivered oh. and with AstraZeneca in March, although we've been manufacturing AstraZeneca since November. Mm. And coming to that point about the government, not only have we spent a lot of money on R&D, our respected governments, but we've also had these advanced purchase manufacturing deals oh. where we're going to bet that Pfizer, Moderna, Johnson & Johnson with the Janssen, AstraZeneca, the Oxford AstraZeneca, and so on. And we've given them a lot of money up front, not just for the R&D, but to actually manufacture, mass manufacture, so they could set up the manufacturing lines in advance using all that government investment from our various countries. And this is why it's turning out so fast. They actually started mass manufacturing before they had emergency approvals, which is very unusual. Hmm. In the past, none of the pharma companies would go ahead and mass manufacture until they at least got emergency approval because they didn't want to spend all that money and discover that it didn't work, it wasn't going to be approved. So you can see how a lot of the protests would generally be linear have been running in parallel. Mm -hmm. They think normally wait for that stage to complete before we went on to that stage. Not this time. We're doing it in parallel instead of linear. Interesting. Um, so I just want to move a little bit away from that for a second because I, yeah. I know that you have. Um, so part of what you do, and I think this is, I don't know how you're going to do this or if you're going to with the rollout that's coming that you're teaching people in Australia, you know, um, how to get this out. But one of the things in your specialties that I saw on uh, LinkedIn is corporate storytelling for business continuity scenario exercises. And I think we talked a little bit about that where um, you've got it, like I know you've got a sense of humor, a good mm -hmm. sense of humor, and you like to have fun. I, um, and we talked a little bit about the storytelling um, before. Can you speak to that a little bit? Yes, and it falls on very well with COVID. After all, you're almost un-Australian if you don't have a good sense of humour. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's true. Okay. And in your passport, you can't really be an Australian if you don't have a sense of humour. <laughs> <laughs> or, or in Canada, you can't really be a Canadian if you don't love ice hockey or whatever it is. <laughs> well, I don't love ice hockey. So okay, I, but yeah. you know what I mean. Yes, I know exactly. Anyway. <laughs> So what's been happening with my clients is that I've been encouraging them to prepare for COVID plus. So in the exercises and the storytelling, we've been looking back at what were the lessons that they picked up as a result of what we might call the hasty ski jump of COVID response, where one day we were at business as usual, yeah. and seemingly the next day or very soon thereafter, we were smack bang in the middle of COVID. It was definitely the case in Australia from March 
I don't know when the, the jump off point was for you in Canada, but it was been... um, it was March 13th. There you go. Mm -hmm. so, you know, before before that sort of January, February, everything yeah. was going smoothly. We were operating at business as usual in all of our businesses. And in hey, presto, the government makes announcements. We ski yeah. jump into response. And now we're sort of bumping along at what I call trying to make it COVID normal, whatever yeah. it is that is. Uh, but trying to settle businesses, and this is where a business continuity manager can be of help, because a lot of our work is to help smooth things out in your business as usual, so your business is less vulnerable to failure. Mm. But of course, there will be outbreaks and possibly waves of, of COVID, even as the vaccine rolls out, there will be periods of time where we have outbreaks that we will need to deal with, and we may have to lock down again and undertake various restrictions. So I've been encouraging businesses to look at the story of what they left behind, because sometimes in the hastiness of COVID response, we left behind important parts of the business because we just couldn't see how we could move them onto a virtual platform very quickly. Another thing we might have had is we may not have thought that our clients would be at ease with receiving our goods and services on a virtual platform. But now that people have become much more accustomed to virtual, um, it may be possible that, that services and products of your business that you may have thought were out of scope for virtual platforms are now in scope because people have moved on. So you may want to tell the story about, well, okay, we used to do X and Y, and they were pretty good money makers for our business. Now we may have previous to COVID never thought about how to virtualize those things, but now we can give some time to that when we're bumping along in this COVID normal, the new normal for us. Yes, that's sorry. sorry, they're starting to tell the story about what the new next normal, what the future will be. Your question? Oh, I was just going to say that I know that your your business um, exploded in the sense that it became global very quickly, yes. didn't it? And you had never really well, you didn't have that need before, but, or maybe um, people didn't know that you were there because there's people locally, but now it's like, wow. Well, indeed, like yesterday morning, I started with um, Auckland and London and was busy emailing the Middle East about some work I'm going to be doing for them. Wow. No, I had a, a boutique um, sole trader business continuity business based in Canberra, with some work in Sydney and some work throughout Australia that I travel for. I did go overseas to present papers from time to time at various events, uh, but uh, not like it is now. No, now you said you called it sole trader. Is that what we would call sole proprietorship? Just, yeah. yes. Okay. Yes, it's so different, right? It's just so different now. Um, uh, and there was, um, a question that, uh, hang on, I have here. Um, one, of the, I, one of the questions I had on my sheet that I sent you was, what is the most important message that you want to leave with my listeners? And you referred to this, uh, that wonderful gentleman from England who just passed away, but he was over 100 now, right? Captain Sir Tom Moore. And I remember that was, I got a lot of ink here as well um, about him walking uh, 
in his garden with a walker and raising huge sums of money for the National Health Services in uh, Britain. And then he died of COVID, which was so sad. Um, but why did you choose him when I the to uh, um, portray the uh, important message that you might want to leave with our listeners? Well, he's he lived a long and uh, life of contribution. Hmm. I mean, he lived in World War Two in tanks in Burma. Somehow or other, he survived that. Came home, uh, married and and raised a family, built a business. He was a successful businessman. Hmm. His retirement. Uh, so I, I think he was a, a man of contribution and service. And then somehow or other for a bit of a, oh, he broke his hip. That's right. In his 90s and the National Health Service in the UK did a very good job of bringing him back. Ah. And he was enough to be able to push his walker. Yeah. My father at 91, he's on a walker too. Okay. 86 also. So I'm very familiar with people with walkers. <laughs> Just squashing them into my cars when I visit them in Brisbane. Mm. Um, so Tom, as he died, uh, decided that he'd raise a thousand pounds for the National Health Service to help them during COVID times by doing a hundred laps of his garden. Bless his heart, right? Bless his heart. Yeah. Except it just exploded. It like did. It yes. Just exploded. He ended up raising. And he ended up raising millions of pounds. Yeah, and then he had it matched by other people and so on, right? Yes. Yes, and having a um, having a, a global sensation, number one. He's the oldest person in history to have a number one record on the charts. Yeah, it was quite something. Um, so, yeah. He you was said. an amazing person. Anyway, one of his favourite sayings was, I've always believed things will get better. The sun will shine again. And he kept reminding us that. He was like a beacon of hope oh. when we're looking pretty hopeless in the COVID times. Mm -hmm course of his long life having lived through the war and the like he knew that yes it is a dark time but you'll get out of it and for those of us with even more of a sense of history i noticed that the black death even though it lasted for three centuries and let's hope coronavirus is sorted a long time sooner than that mm -hmm. it led into the renaissance mm -hmm. from a very difficult time in terms of a health emergency but it became a time of innovation and we're seeing a lot of that innovation and agility and pivoting and all sorts of new ideas coming out of businesses now. So for other business owners, I went global. I've become a Zoom princess. <laughs> what the opportunities might be for you too, both in the sort of bump along COVID times, but also looking forward. What, what do you want to be doing in the next normal in your business? Do you perhaps want to retool and do some other thing? planning purpose for five years hence, so that you're ahead of the competitors. Because what do they say um, about planning to fail? Yeah. If yeah. you don't plan, you will fail. Yeah. So yeah. If you start just taking a moment as business owners, maybe 15 minutes a day, to just reflect, where do you see your business in five years hence when all these vaccines have rolled out, when we've dealt with the variant and things are starting to settle down? Where would you like to position your business? That's a really good thought for people to think about. Um, one of the things that I, I 
noticed because I'm a LinkedIn trainer and I always look at LinkedIn, you have over 9,000 followers on your LinkedIn. And I'm not even sure, do you use, you probably use it more now than you did before, I'm guessing, because of your global um, uh, presence now. But um, uh, I used to be a fairly busy person on LinkedIn even before COVID. Okay, okay. I have it's, to agree, I'm more busy on it now. Okay, so... It's, with my colleagues in the health emergency space. So my friend Adam Cameron Scott and Regina Phelps and Charlie uh, Charlie Bristol McLean and, and Alan Kane in the UK. So these are people in other parts of the world that do what you do or the similar yes. things what you do. Okay. So and we spend a lot of time sharing posts and arguing backwards and forwards. Okay. We may say, but occasionally we disagree. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Sure. So, so in your world then, are there a lot of people on LinkedIn that you've had, that you've discovered, uh, or they've reached out to you that you didn't know at all before? And has that built your, um, your connection base up um, a lot just since, you know, or from the articles that you've written and argued about online? Well, for instance, I'd never even heard of the global supply chain until March of this year when suddenly I discovered Max Henry, their CEO and managing director in Shanghai, who invited me to speak at one of their online events. And I've somehow become a bit of a regular with them all and embedded okay. with the group okay. and, and done a little bit of chatting with AstraZeneca about some crafty ways to deliver vaccines in Indonesia, for instance. Oh, my goodness. Uh, working with Air Services Australia, which included drone technology. Mm. And, and uh, we come across a UNESCO pilot of MMR, which is measles, mumps and rubella vaccines in Vanuatu and shipping them off ships. So flying them with the dry ice and everything in the container of a, of a drone, flying them off a ship, landing them in a remote village, a presto, there's a nurse or paramedical person, vaccines line the kids up. So we're looking at, at those kind of ideas that were piloted in Vanuatu for possible use by AstraZeneca in Indonesia because they have to deal with getting vaccines to 6,000 plus islands, some of which have uh, a bit light on infrastructure. <laughs> Just a bit. <laughs> a cost-effective way. Yeah. So you can, you can set up the ship with, with the proper uh, cold chain in containers because they uh, container shipping containers are quite frequently uh, that's how you move vaccines before COVID a lot of vaccines did go by sea in big uh, temperature control containers yeah. so they can put them on the ships they can sail the uh, fly the um, drones off apparently throughout Indonesia like Australia and possibly Canada with our uh, doctor service in a lot of remote communities they pre-train people mm. to give or emergency care until, as I say, the cavalry can come. Or the right. Flying doctor plane can come in and rescue everyone, but they'll need some immediate help. So they've got people with the skills, and apparently they do in Indonesia too. So tossing around those sort of ideas, how we can deliver vaccines more quickly using experiences from elsewhere. How do you keep up with it all? It fascinates me that you have all of this... Um, breadth of knowledge and you're always looking at the new things and um, you know how to make things happen better different you know to uh, in different parts of the world I'm fascinated 
Well, in the supply chain space, I'd have to be truthful. Some of my colleagues are a bit despairing about the fires and how the hell they were going to manage it. Right. And in remote places, even in the UK, where you think they have reasonable infrastructure there. And I was able to point out to them that the Ebola vaccine in Africa mm-hmm. is a minus 70 vaccine. Is it what? Minus 70 vaccine. Oh, okay. okay. Mm-hmm. And they, they already have existing containers. Some of them look a bit like, um, you know, the old days, possibly young girls like ourselves might recall those tower computers where yes. you had the big tower. Great to say I do know what you're talking about, yes. Yeah, yeah. You might vaguely remember, perhaps on your school days. <laughs> anyway, um, they have these tower-like uh, boxes that UPS has where they can encircle them with with um, dry ice mm-hmm. and then put vaccines in it. And other containers are more circular with a... Uh, with a um, circular pattern for inserting the dry ice, and then you pull the the um, vaccine containers pods out, a bit like um, straws you will have seen in cryogenic things, you mm-hmm. know, like, mm-hmm. um, uh, reproductive purposes right. and so on. Uh, so there, we have lots of lessons from other places. So, for mm-hmm. example, when my UK and Indian friends were a bit despairing about how to manage Pfizer's COVID vaccine, I said, well. Get on the phone and talk to your African friends. They've been doing it for about a decade with Ebola vaccine. They're very experienced. And you can't possibly tell me that they have more infrastructure than you do. Their their temperatures are hot. uh, 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 That your temperatures are hotter than sub-Saharan Africa? Really? (laughs) Right. Not in England, that's for sure. So, you know, if we bring all these people together and these ideas, which have Uh been through LinkedIn and other platforms, then we can all move forward quicker because we all want to put it into this. We want zero COVID as soon as possible. Exactly. So me sharing an idea about Vanuatu with the Indonesians and me sharing an idea from Africa with the UK and the Indian folks gets us faster forward. Go for it. And I think it helps that you are a people person and you know that, um, we can't be isolated. We have to build out those connections and build out that those relationships to make it happen faster. Um, I have we to- absolutely have to. There's no way we can deliver what the World Health Organization wants, which is 70% of the world's population vaccinated. Um, and that's currently 7.8 billion people is the world's population estimate. 5.46 is what 70% looks like. If it's Pfizer or AstraZeneca, that's by two. And allowing for the spoilage rates, it's pretty much like three. So think of, if you're a mathematically minded person, 5.46 by three to mass manufacture. We're going to need Pfizer, Moderna, Astra, we're going to need everybody's best efforts to make so, it happen. So this may be um, um, a... Uh, a touchy subject, and it also may not be um, because you might not be paying any attention to it but I know there was some um, controversy over the Australian Open tennis tournament being held mm-hmm. there again uh, as it is every year but I, I thought I heard like Aussies telling everyone to go home and not come like what was that all about they it, let was it was sensitive I understand that the uh, the tennis authorities made it very clear that if we didn't take it this year we would lose it forever really wow mm. So we were very much over a um, over a barrel, as we would say. Yeah. 
if we hadn't found a way to make it COVID safe to bring the players and their entourages, because you might have noticed they, they don't travel without a few friends. Oh, and absolutely, yeah. Especially the wealthy tennis players. Absolutely, yep. Thousands. I think most of them bring about 20 people with oh, them. Oh, my goodness. So did they all have to quarantine? Yes. Yeah, okay. Um, they only got tested before they got on their um, chartered flights. Mm-hmm. Tested. And they were tested when they got here as well. And that's when we discovered some people had obviously been incubating um, COVID. Mm -hmm. So they do a stricter quarantine. They moved out of what we call a quarantine hotel to a Medi hotel. So uh, that's where they got uh, more intense care and scrutiny to make sure that they were well. Okay. So um, this is fascinating. And I, I really appreciate the time that you spent with me. I just like to wrap up by asking you, um, I think two things. One, you know I'm a curious person, but I'm curious about many different things. This is not my bailiwick. You are, um, I think, curious in your field because of being able to come up with new ideas and so on. So what what are you curious about, number one? And number two, what piece of advice would you leave um, to my audience that has helped in business? So start with the curiosity piece first. Well, of course, I'm curious about SARS-CoV-2. We don't know enough about this this virus at the basic science. Once upon a time, I thought I was going to be a CSI person for the public. Oh, really? Yes, fascinating. Yes, so my um, original training was in chemistry and biology. So even though I never actually got to work in that, I ended up working in crime stats for the police, believe it or (laughs) not. Oh, there you so go. Yeah. I remember having an interview with the assistant commissioner training who said, oh, no, I've got enough CSI people. What I really need is someone to do my crime stats. Oh, interesting. Ugh. So after but, all... But you were trained, training, you were trained, I guess, um, when you thought you were going to be in a CSI, you were trained in a way of thinking, right? Yes. Yeah. So that's why I'm interested in the basic science. Mm-hmm. So even though I never actually got to work in basic science... I was trained in basic science. And, and I guess it's sort of a bit like your first love. You never quite leave it, forget it. It's always yeah, sort it's of always there. there. Yeah. So I've got a curiosity about the science. And I know we don't know enough about this dreadful virus. But we didn't know enough about SARS-CoV-1 or MERS or any of these other things because no one was willing to invest the money for, for us to do the basic science. Mm-hmm. So I'm really glad the governments and the Gates Foundation and many others have been willing to invest in basic science because I know from many of my colleagues who who did get to work in that space that they were always scrabbling for a dollar. And and there's another good news story in this. All that investment we've made in, in making these fast COVID vaccines, we're going to be able to retrofit those lessons into some of our not so good vaccines. So for instance, it's the flu vaccine that we get every year. It ranges between 16 and 60% efficacy. It's wow. really bad. Yes, that's not good. And some of the developers of the COVID vaccine can't wait to get back into the laboratory to fix up these other vaccines because of all the things they've learned. That's interesting. Yeah, so it's very exciting. Huh. But uh, in terms of a tip for the business, <clears throat> and of course, Interested in oh, cut out then say it again in terms of, of um 
tip for the business. Yeah, but before that, uh, so I'm interested in the basic science of SARS-CoV-2. We need to understand a lot more about it. I'm also interested in the limitations of the vaccine. We don't know how long they'll last. Uh, we don't know what the next generation of vaccines will do. So there's another bit of curiosity in that space. But thinking forward about businesses, what can we be doing? And as I mentioned earlier, look back, see if there's anything you left behind that you might want to capture. Try and settle into COVID normal, but be mindful you'll have outbreaks, possibly waves to deal with. But did you learn some tips in that sort of hastiness of the response that you made to COVID that might settle into your business? We talk about hybrid a lot. There's a lot of discussion here about whether people will work, say, three days in the office, two days remotely, or three days remotely, two days in the office, or some other configuration of the business. This is a great opportunity to restructure mm -hmm. the work in your business, maybe in a way that you find more productive, that, that um, cuts out wasted time, like commuting. Right. That uh, in Australia, we used to fly a lot. Well, why? Have a Zoom meeting. <laughs> exactly. Savings, real productivity as we integrate some of the ideas that were sort of forced upon us mm -hmm. by COVID that we might actually want to keep in our business going forward. Yeah, and that's really good advice. Yeah, that's Look really the future. Good. Yeah. There's so many opportunities there. It'll be wonderful. The post-COVID space, I mean, some of the CIOs have been telling me, the technology people, that they've moved their program forward by five years. Wow. Well, yeah, I, I, I'm, I, I'm guessing that it's these people that are not being... Um, I mean, unfortunately, there are some industries that are hit more than others. However, it's the people that are being innovative and taking chances and, and not giving into it that are going to get through it, right? They're, they're, they're yeah, and, and to give you a great example, you, you thought I was in Melbourne. Melbourne in Australia is renowned for its restaurants. And one of the five-star chefs there, sort of Michelin-star type mm -hmm. chef, came up with this clever idea of partially preparing meals, mm -hmm. get them delivered by Uber, but then he give you a link on YouTube as to how to finish it. A video on how to finish it? Yeah, that's yes. brilliant. So he cut everything up, he'd sort of part cook it for you, he'd send it in the Uber thing, and to finish it off so that it was presented in the same quality way or as close as possible to the way he would present it to you in his beautiful restaurant, he yeah. sent you youtube video so you can find step by step how to finish a meal and plate it up beautifully yeah that's great although i do miss going to those restaurants i do i miss mm. getting dressed up and i don't think i'll ever be able to put heels on again i just i don't know it's crazy but this has been delightful chris and we'll get through this right we will get through it and the world will mm -hmm. always look different for sure and um and thanks to you and the work that you're doing that we're going to make it through because your, um, your responsibilities and your um, passion for it, I think, is what I, I'm just in awe of. So thank you. And thank I was you. contemplating retiring in March. Because I, I know, I know, that's right. I can do. <laughs> you feel as though there's so much you can offer that you don't need to um, retire right now you can't there's too much too many people need your expertise 
So I thank think there'd be some disappointed people if I failed to meet my other commitments. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And 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 just to round this off, it's been actually a longer call than I expected, and I, I appreciate your time. Um, we met online on a Zoom call in a networking um, uh, event, right? And so yes. I love that. Otherwise, we would never have met. So again, we'll stay in touch. And I, um, please, um, if you enjoyed and were fascinated by Chris's um, experience and her work, just as I was, please let us know, leave a review. And thank you, everybody, for being here. And remember to stay connected and be remembered. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast today. If this show has inspired you to reach out to connect to someone new or nurture a current or past relationship, and you think that others can benefit from listening, please share this episode. If you have feedback or questions about the episode, please leave a note in the comment sections below. If you would like to receive automatic updates of new podcast episodes, you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or Stitcher or from the podcast app on your mobile device. Ratings and reviews from my listeners are extremely valuable to me and greatly appreciated. They help the podcast rank higher on iTunes, which exposes my show to more awesome listeners like you. So if you have a minute, please leave an honest review on iTunes. And remember to stay connected and be remembered.